Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones here for uh, podcast number twenty. Woohoo! We're finally not a teenager anymore. Yes, we we can't drink yet though. No. Legally, no. But the future's ahead of us. Well, you know, the podcast. Uh, you know, it's still underage. It's still slightly irresponsible. Uh, I think it'll always trusted. be irresponsible. I think even as a, a full fledged adult, it'll be irresponsible. I'm just saying. Probably, but but don't think that that means that we're going to take the podcast out and get it drunk next week because that's just not going to happen. Really? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just lost half of our audience, right? No, I don't think they were ever with us. I'm serious. I really don't. Um, who was it? Um, didn't you say there was some church planner who had a, a pub or something? And yep. I was like, we're going to interview that guy, but it has to be over a beer for the podcast. Yeah, he uh, he started something called Brood, and uh, we're going to be interviewing him. Um, he's going to be speaking at the Centralized. That's so, right. That's right. Yeah, That's where it, it was. It's what, it's what Michael Cheshire, ooh, fresh out of the gate there, baby. <laughs> Michael Cheshire, it's what he talks about being a Trojan horse. <laughs> I did. I did see that. Uh, it. It. <laughs> Pete almost had Coca Cola come out of his nostrils. Actually, but Michael uh, Cheshire, Monster Low Carb Energy Drink out my nostrils. Um, yeah. Well, your nose would have woken up for sure. Well, let me that tell you, that would have burned. Well, you know. So Michael Cheshire talks about these things being Trojan horses, which are businesses that you start up to actually fund ministry, and that you know it's kind of fitting. That's what that guy did. It. It, it actually is a gastro pub. They do brew beer there, but they. It's it's kind of like a restaurant. It's kind of like a that's kind of like the new hip thing for for hipsters is to you know kind of uh, wow and amaze the taste buds, and uh, so it's kind of a cultural thing. It's somewhere in Texas. I can't remember. We'll have all the details in future about it. But uh, it's just one of many things. I mean, there there was uh, another guy who wrote a book called Stacking the Deck, and he was a guy who had started up a coffee roasting business. And we'll talk about that at some point where uh, he had basically, uh, they would roast coffee in the morning and they would do church planner training in the afternoon. And when you went out, you would uh, take a coffee roaster with you. You would reproduce the whole business. You would start a coffee roasting uh, company in that town, uh, open a coffee bar and plan a church out of it. Mm. And uh, this guy had this, you know, reproducing model. And so there's all different ways that you can you know, basically fund mission. And we're going to talk about that today because church planners need to be able to fund their mission. And Pete, I would imagine this is the conversation where you really come alive because I don't know, man. man. I don't know. I, I the, see the problem for me is I've been reading uh, a lot of the gospels 
lately, and uh, <laughs> I keep reading Jesus saying, "Don't take two tunics, don't take any new sandals, don't you know?" And I'm like, "That's a that's a tall order." He's basically saying, "Have faith that I'm going to provide." Well, it, it's funny that because I was reading a book this week. Uh, Hugh Halter wrote a new book called Bivo, and it's all about bivocational ministry. and And I think. One one of the things in mission is that you don't want to do anything that reduces the need for faith. Um, a lot a lot of stuff out there that you're hearing. It's kind of like people want mission to be safe and packaged, and they want it to be kind of like, hey, well, like there are organizations. I'm I'm not knocking it, but when you when you start off with an organization signing a contract that you're going to give me $200,000 and I've got to pay you back. Basically what you're doing is you're taking that whole principle that Jesus talked about and you're taking the adventure out of it. You know, you're taking the fear factor away. You're taking the risk out of mission. And last time I checked, mission was a risky deal. I mean, it's not without reason that Paul was beaten regularly. Uh he faced starvation, nakedness, and uh, advancing the gospel is costly, and it's risky. Yeah, that it is. So, so but you know, yeah, I, stop I, reading that Bible, Pete. Yeah, just, you yeah know. that's it. I was just going to say, that's, I don't, I don't, you know, I think there's a lot of things that can be done to uh, to raise money financially. Um, but I mean, I tell you, it is it is something that that lately I've been reexamining, going, you know, what is what's really the right way to do it. So. And not just yeah. like to to raise money, but like, I mean, w- one of the things like there's a there's a great book that almost every entrepreneur at some point reads. It's called The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley. And um, basically, this guy had a research firm, and for like thirty years, they uh, did research. Oh, there's the train. Doot, doot. They did research on millionaires because his clients would hire him, and they'd go, you know, we want to know how to sell these guys better. And it could be everything from selling them RVs to selling them, you know, whatever. And what they found is the average millionaire um, is basically your next door neighbor. You wouldn't know that they're a millionaire. They're usually a small business owner. uh, And uh, they can't look like a millionaire. Like when we think millionaires, oftentimes we think of Beverly Hills. We think of Hollywood. But that's not what the average millionaire looks like. But interestingly enough, what – they also found is that when you when they gave money to their kids, they dumped it on their kids basically without accountability and without responsibility, much like what we see with uh, Hollywood and celebrities and things like that. They coined a term for it. They called it economic outpatient care. And basically, the kids who got all this money didn't really live productive lives. Because right. they didn't earn it, they weren't. They they didn't have that respect for the money because they didn't earn it. So I mean, I definitely agree when it comes to um, to missions work. You know, I like I would almost be too afraid if I were to see a, a young organization. Let's say I had a ton of money to dump too much money at them. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's I and I don't know. I mean, some people are gonna take that the wrong way, but you know, whatever. That's just, it's one of those things, man. You need the money. Like I'll give you an example. Um, in college, I worked at one summer camp and they required us to raise, I think half of our support. It was a Christian summer camp. And I I can't remember exactly what the number was, but I think it was like a thousand bucks. I think he made like 2000 for the summer. And, um, my dad was a uh, part-time pastor at this one particular church. I'd never gone to this church, um, the church was primarily senior citizens. I mean, it was almost on its way out. Yeah. And uh, so I went to it, you know, stood up there, did a little dog and pony. This is what I'm doing. And these guys just gave from their hearts, right? And so I raised well over $1,000. And what the camp mm. did is if you raised more, they took the additional amount and it went towards one of your staff members who didn't raise as much. And I just remember I didn't like struggle at all. Like to me, it was like no big deal. There was there was no struggle for me to raise that money because you know my dad opened the doors and you know I just walked right into it. Yeah, you know what? And I I love the point that you bring up with the um, you know the millionaire next door because I think that that the 
biblical principle of money is that, um, you know, obviously you tithe, right? You, you give your money. And I know there's a lot of guys who are like, oh, no, man, that's like Old Testament. Let me tell you something. The New Testament never says, hey, by the way, everybody, uh, you know, this is the New Testament and you're not to give your money. What they're showing in the trend with millennials is they don't want to give their money unless they, uh, they, they actually feel that it is going towards something, uh, worthwhile. So the millennials are kind of like, Hey, you know, I want to make sure I'm not giving to pay the electrical bill for this mega, mega church. You know, I don't want to pay for the light bulbs in here. Um, I don't want to pay the air conditioning bill this, at this mega church. But the reality is, um, you know, with a church planner, you're talking almost every penny is investment and mission. And so to fund a church plant, this is one of the things with the millennials that we're saying is if church plants are 70% more likely to reach, convert, and disciple unreached or unchurched people, then right away you've got a huge motivation. But I agree with you that um, like the millionaire next door, when they're given to their kids, church planners need to learn that whole biblical discipline of how to handle money. And many church planners just simply have never learned to handle money biblically. So, you know, there, there comes a, a, when we're talking earlier about not greedy for money, um, blah, blah, blah. When you're talking about a church planner, I, I've found this in mission and I've been a missionary, uh, since 1999. It really, you could say, uh, earlier because when I joined ministry, um, full-time ministry, I took such a pay cut from what I would have made with, with my education. Um, I was an RN. I made crazy money. I could make crazy money today if I went back to that. Um, in fact, I, I would just danger. throw out there there that, that you and I have different definitions of crazy money. Oh yeah, most definitely. I'm, I'm thinking from a missionary perspective, from an entrepreneur, you're, you're like, man, that's, that's allowance. <laughs> exactly. I'm thinking, man, I wouldn't get out of bed for what you'd make as an RN. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, but you know, that, that the funny thing is that, uh, I have found over all these years that God has always given me what I've needed, not what I've wanted. Um, but I think there's, there's this whole idea that, you know, you, you're able to, uh, you're able to, like Paul tells Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. If you can get in that place where you're walking with the Lord, you're fulfilling your mission, and you have what you need, you may not have what you want, your life is so much richer than if you make buttloads of cash and you, you just feel empty at the end of that. Every time you deposit money in your bank, you hear a hollow sound, and it's not because there's no money there, but it's a spiritual hollow sound. Mm. Mm. You know, and one of the things, too, I, I got to throw this out there for uh, for pastors, I don't know how at your church you do the offering, but I, I would I would make the suggestion. Now, this is just me, and you might disagree with me, Peyton, and feel free to do so. But I would make the suggestion that if you pass the bucket, like we pass the bucket at, at Refuge Long Beach, every uh, church I've gone to, They've pretty much passed the bucket. Refuge Huntington used to have the boxes in the back, and then when they needed money, they're like, "Maybe we should pass the bucket," you know. And then they passed the bucket. Yeah. Uh, or did I say Refuge Huntington? Anyway, um, I my my suggestion would be is this: the average person sitting in the church is is looking at this as they're giving money not to God but to the pastor to the staff who's on stage. Yep. And I'm not saying that that's right, obviously. I'm not saying that's the way they should be looking at it. I'm just saying this is what naturally happens. So my suggestion is this. I was at a church one time, and I don't remember where it was. It might have even been my dad's church growing up. And when the – I think it was my dad's church when because I remember the one guy, and he was a deacon at my dad's church. When he would – it was our deacons who would pass the the, the bucket for the offering. But he would always first go up to my dad, who was on the stage, and my dad would take out his envelope and put it in the bucket. And I, I thought it was such a great leadership example mm. of I'm not taking the money. Like, you're not giving to me 
because you're seeing that I'm giving. Now, I know yeah. some people might look at that and go, oh, well, you know, I, I need to do this privately and blah, 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 blah. But I'm telling you from a leadership perspective, it has a huge impact on people when they see the leaders going, look, I'm tithing too. And if you as yeah. a church planner are not tithing, I mean, you're missing out, right? Because God called you to do that. And so Absolutely. I don't know. I'm just, I'm throwing that out there. You might have a different opinion, but I'm throwing that out there. I would highly encourage you to pass the bucket. Make the first stop, come up on stage, and let the people see you tithe. That's not a bad idea. And I can I can right away hear people's objections saying, Oh, but you know, you gotta give it, you know, Jesus said the Pharisees give but wait a second, everybody is giving public. I actually kind of get your point there. And I I can I can hear the objections. Um and yet what you're saying actually kind of makes good sense. You're leading by example on that. And, and I'm not uh, saying you got to show them the check. Hey, look, you know, whatever. $100, $100, $100 do the Creflo dollar thing. But but here's the thing, too, is that, you know, you know, I've, I've always been uncomfortable with money. And, uh, you know, it, it's just the thing that I've always sucked at raising money. In fact, now that I'm off the uh, international mission field, I still consider myself a missionary. Um, I go into areas where, where they're not going to support me, and I don't expect to get support from the church. In fact, what I try to do is free myself up as much as I can, kind of like Paul, where he says, hey, I didn't take your money. Um, I take a very small salary from the church that we plant, very small. Um uh, but but the deal is is that it helps you know it's a little bit to 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 kind of fatten and I've I've recently uh, been devising ways to bring money in through outside sources Trojan horse type of stuff um, so that I do not drain the finances of the church at all but but here's the deal I'm a tent maker you know I do other things and you know I'm a missionary with uh, New Breed but I always sucked at bringing in money I always sucked at giving missionary appeals. Um, what you would call closing the sale when you go up and you speak at a church and you're, you're supposed to be saying, Hey, you know, um, you know, this is what I need. I just didn't acknowledge it at all. And my mission board used to say, Hey, man, you really suck at this and you need to get better. Since I got off the international mission field, now I'm in the, the domestic field. I started reading the scripture and seeing where Paul actually asked for support to plant the next church. That was a game changer for me. I'm actually unashamed about it now. And I can remember the day where at least in our church, we, uh, we started to, um, pass the bucket. That was a real hard day for me. That was a shift. And yet church planners I knew who passed the bucket from day one were teaching their people to give towards mission. And so my perspective changed. And one of the guys, um, he's a guy named Josh Best. He's out in Palm Springs. He planned a church. Um, and what they do is they just say, Hey, um, part of, of your worship to the Lord involves giving of what you have that's wired all throughout the Old Testament and also the New Testament. So, uh, as part of your worship, you know, this would be right as they're about to worship, they'd say, um, you know, we, uh, we want to encourage you to express your gratitude to God through giving of your, uh, your finances. And boom. And he would just say it with a smile on his face and boom, they never had, um, they've never had a financial problem. Hmm. Um, you know, from day one that was hardwired in, it was connected to worship, which it is biblically. And he was teaching people that, Hey, talk is cheap. You know, David made that statement in the, in the old Testament. I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And so our, our worship is cheap. And so, you know, it, it's a big subject. We eventually pass a bucket. We did laugh. We want to get, um, KFC buckets and really pass the, uh, the greasy bucket, but we never did that. We never went out and got greasy buckets, but Pete and I used to laugh about that. That's because no one actually goes to KFC. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Pro- probably in our church, everybody would be like, dude, like, Where's you're the teasing. Chicken? There's no chicken in this. Like, <laughs> take so out why a, are you doing Take this? out a leg, throw in a buck. <laughs> you know, we might Amen. actually raise more money that way. I'm just saying. You might be right. So let's let's get down to the nitty gritty here. Um, how do how does a church planner raise money? Well, again, like I said, uh, it, you know, there's Trojan horses, all different kinds of ways to do it. One of them, like I said, is uh, you know, definitely pick up Hugh Halter's book, um, Bivo. Uh, it's a great read. It also talks about kind of like the whole kingdom mentality that uh, if if you work less, 
you're content with what you make and you're on mission. That's the kingdom mindset. And I have to say, when I read that book, that's kind of what I've lived over the years. But, you know, as I read it and just heard someone put it uh, very, you know, succinctly into, into words, uh, it just really ministered to me. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly the kind of attitude that a church planner needs to have. But uh, but how how do you how do you actually build a support base? One of one of the things that I always tell people is you know at least at some point um, consider yourself a missionary. Um, a mission is is not one who crosses the seas. A missionary is somebody who sees the cross. And so if you're on mission, you are a missionary. And so I always tell people, look, you know, there are people looking to give to a worthwhile mission. And if you're a church planner. I'm, I'm hoping, um, I'm praying, I'm begging that you had experience somewhere else, uh, ministering other than your church plan. If your first ministry out the gate is planning a church, good luck with that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you've kind of gone from like high school chemistry, uh, class to rocket science overnight. And, um, you know, you, you really need to, to maybe step back and, and learn some ministry basics first, but but obviously, if you've got a little bit of a track record, you've been used of God, you've served in other ministries, then there is a host of people that you have impacted, and they're interested. If you were a youth pastor, think about it. There are going to be kids who you were the most influential person in their life. You mm-hmm. you were you know a huge part of their spiritual formation. They will, for the rest of their life, no joke, be grateful to you. And always want to see you do the same thing you did in their life and others. Their parents, the same kind of thing. They are going to be very faithful because they will never forget that their most important thing on the planet, their kids, are walking with Christ because of you and your input in their life. So, so you know, and, and just other people. If 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 you've been in a church where you served in any way, home studies, uh, maybe you preached in the pulpit, maybe you were an assistant pastor and you counseled people through their marriages, uh, people are going to feel interested in you, and they're going to believe in your ministry. They are a result. Paul said, are you not my seal of apostleship in the Lord? Are you not the proof of my calling. That's what he's saying there in Corinthians. You are the seal of my apostleship. And so all of us have that. We have people out there that are the seal or the stamp of approval from God of our ministry, proof of our calling. So the first thing that I tell people is if you consider yourself a missionary, then perhaps go to these people for missionary support. Tell them about your mission. Tell them what you're going to do. And you need to be able to communicate uh, what you're going to do, what your vision is. And we're, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, at another episode, uh, your vision statement, your, your mission statement, uh, what you're going to do, how to package all that up and communicate that. But we're not even talking about that right now. What, what I want to talk about is the first thing I would tell you to do is to start building uh, mission relationships, right? Develop gospel partnerships. That's what you're doing. Paul talks about how people partnered with him in the gospel. What exactly did he mean? So, so, so as much as like you can hear, well, you know, you got to be bivocational and pull your own weight. That's not exactly biblical. Um, Paul did that when there were no other Christians amongst the Gentile world to support him. In fact, Jerusalem was in such a bad way that Paul continued for the rest of his ministry to collect money from the Gentiles who were a bit more affluent for Jerusalem. Hmm. But but the reality is, is in the beginning, Antioch sends him off. But then he has to work with his own hands. But when he comes back through uh, Asia Minor, and I know I've talked about this in other podcasts, he raises support from the churches that he's planted. So when he talks about, you've partnered with me in the gospel, um, you know, one, one of those places is Philippians chapter 1, verse 5. Um, he mentions them being his partners. Now, so, what what would you say, you know, as um, you, you're going back to people who you've had an impact on, you know, let's say you, you were a youth pastor. What what are you going back to them and saying? Is it just telling them the, the vision? Hey, look, this is what I'm doing. Would you consider supporting me? I mean, what's what's your approach? Well, yeah, what what I would personally do is I would have a meeting. 
And what I, what I tend to do is I say you've got five couples, um, that would make 10 people. I try to make it not groups bigger than 10 people. Um, some people, you know, depending on your schedule, if I were meeting with a church planner, I'd say, look, this is what I would do. And, and of course, you listen to this podcast. This is my podcast, right? Um, it's Pete and I's podcast. You, you wouldn't hear the same thing from maybe another church planner. So don't think this is the only way to do it. But this is the way I would do it. Um, what I would do is I would sit down. I'd grab five couples at a time. Um, go through a list of people that I think, yeah, I've had an impact in their life. They are proof of my apostleship. They might possibly partner with us, say, if we're going to plant in Long Beach, and uh, they would give to us. So one of the things I would do is I would invite them over for a coffee and cake. I'd, I'd have the Mrs. Bake a Spice Cake, not to be sexist, maybe I'd put on an apron, and boom, <laughs> I've got coffee brewed there, and, uh, you know, boom, we would get together, and I would sit down, and I would share with them, and I would tell them for 10 minutes, not too much longer, this is what we're going to do, this is why, and we want to plan a church, and we're recruiting a team. See, because this is going to kind of overflow into building your core team. Um, some of your core team is going to come out of these, these meetings. And I say these meetings because you're not just meeting with 10 people. You're going to do this over and over and over with groups of 10. And the reason why groups of 10 is because you and your wife make 12. Mm. The perfect small group is 12 people, right? Statistically, studies they've done, that's the best for group dynamics. Now, when you invite 10 people, not all 10 are going to come, and that's fine. You might need to play with the numbers and figure out how many people. It doesn't have to exactly equal 12, but that's kind of roughly the number that you're you're gunning for. And then when they get there, what's going to happen is there's going to be three options that people have. Number one, you ask everybody there, because you don't go in and say, hey, everybody, thanks for coming, drink my coffee, eat my cake, hear my vision, and give me money. That's not what you're doing. You're actually, you're not starting off with money. More important than your money, believe it or not, is prayer support. So when we talk about gathering support, and we're not paying lip service to this, Paul asked for prayer a lot more in his letters than he asked for money, okay? If you got people praying for you, uh, he, he, the money's going to come in. Right. And it may not be enough to, to, to fund your whole ministry. You see, God's will for you might be to go into the community, get a job and work amongst the people that you're witnessing to. I mean, that was surely my story. Uh, that was the first thing God had to teach me is people only got saved when I actually got onto the mission field. I mean, and what I mean by that is I was a full time evangelist at Martin Lloyd Jones's church for a year. No fruit. Did all the sucky things, you know, open air preaching, all the frontline hardcore stuff that evangelists should do, no fruit. 9-11 hit, support drops in half. As a post-fully supported missionary, um, I go to work in the factory, people start getting saved. And the Lord is like, this is where I wanted you. You didn't want to be here. You wanted to to have a full-time ministry job. And a lot of church planners need to kind of learn that, that God may not want you to be full-time supported. If that's your goal... You gotta kind of step back and say, Lord, that may not be your will for me. Um, keep that open. Your will be done. What if you working in the KFC are the most strategic instrument for the gospel in that community simply by just interacting with people all the time? Hmm. Yep. So, you know, I, I like what, uh, I can't remember who said it, but, uh, I remember hearing somebody say once, do you, do you know how God reaches? And you can fill in the blank, you know, firefighters. He takes gospel missionaries, trains them up and disguises them like firefighters and saves firefighters. Do you know how God uh, reaches policemen or doctors? You know, the same thing. He takes a full-time gospel missionary, trains them up, educates them, and makes them look and act and think like a doctor and then infiltrates doctors and leads doctors to Christ. I mean, that that's just, you know, that's how God works. And uh, you're still going to be a missionary wherever you go and whatever you're doing. So uh, when I ended up on the Sony factory floor uh, <laughs> on a conveyor belt, wiping springs off of you know TVs to keep dust particles off them, it was the most boring job on the planet. And I remember just looking up once and saying, Lord, why am I here? This hmm. sucks. I've come all the way across the world to wipe springs on TVs. And people just started getting saved left and right on the factory floor. So that's, uh, you know, that's what happens. 
and uh, that's that's how the Lord works. So, um, so, so going back to this meeting, you're going to be recruiting prayer support out of this meeting. You're not just going to have financial supporters. So, there's three 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 outcomes. First thing you say is, "I need you guys all to pray for me." Um, can you commit? And so you have a piece of paper. And it's got three checkbox on it. You share your vision. You'll have your vision statement on there. It has to be written down. And you'll have like a little tear-off uh, sheet that, that they can tear off with a check. Has their information on it. You probably have that anyways. But anyways, you want to keep all that together and give that to someone who's going to do your newsletter. Because that's where this is going. But number one, you want prayer support. That's the first box. And they can tick that. Most people will say, I'll pray for you. Number two... um, give. And number three, come with me. And so there's three levels. And you start off the meeting by saying, look, guys, um, I've invited you here because some way, shape, or form, you've all come to know my ministry. You know how the Lord's used me and gifted me. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, you're not going to get big on that and, you know, start pulling out diagrams and flow charts and flannel graphs and showing it's how a great you've of, been in their life. Yeah, it's a picture Let's, of a couple going to hell and then you plucking them out. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, here this is you where you before. were going. <laughs> yeah, and here's the picture of where I was baptizing Charlie. And uh, look, you know, Charlie looks happy there. That's because of me. Um, no, you... <laughs> So so here's the deal. And, oh, and remember, Jane, when your marriage was breaking up and I saved it? <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. Especially in front of everyone else. You remember when he cheated on you and I brought this whole <laughs> thing back together? Not a good idea. Yeah, and like you guys weren't going to survive and you were beating on each other. And remember that? <laughs> so, yeah, you, you want to stay away from all the gritty de- No, but you are like, oh, yeah, I'm coming with you. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, so, so basically you're going for three things. Number one, you're looking for prayer and then you're looking for financial commitment. And thirdly, you're looking for people who go, you know, what, hot diggity dog, I'm bored in church and I want to come with you. Boom. And they sign up. That's one way you recruit your core team. So this overflows into another topic for another week. I also don't but, mind telling you that from a marketing standpoint, the way that you put those levels on there is brilliant because, uh, you're basically what's going to happen. Like I would probably reverse it from a marketing standpoint. First, I would make it come with me. Second, I would make it give. And third, I would make it pray <laughs> because when people go, Oh, come with you. Well, that's really hard. Oh, you know what? I'll give. Here's all the money you want. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh man, it is so good knowing a marketer. I love that. All right. Okay. So Pete says reverse the order of that. <laughs> <laughs> because they're going to look at the hard one and go, oh, I don't want, oh, okay, I can do this one. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then bottom line, what you really do want to emphasize, though, and you need to be able to say, you're not a vulture, and you're not, like Paul says, like some peddling the word of God. You're not seeing, uh, you know, godliness as a means to financial gain. You don't, and you have to tell people this, look, I did invite you here because I want your money. I mean, we are going to, we're going to be missionaries and we're going to have things that, that are going to cost us. And we're asking you to partner with us to see people's lives change just like yours were. But if you can't do that, that's okay. What I really need from you is I need prayer. I need you all to pray for me. Um, and, and Don Overstreet, who is, uh, we refer to him as Don the Baptist, and uh, he is a church planning catalyst for the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, just a little bit of trivia, found out this week that his son is Badger off of Breaking Bad. Now, I know most of you church planners uh, would you never know, watch that. You're too holy to ever watch that show. So uh, you don't even know what we're talking about. But anyways, just a little tidbit. But Don Overstreet says that every church planner should have at least 100 people praying for them. And so you can even tell people, look, I'm I'm looking to really have about 100 people praying for me. And that's a magic number. I don't know where Don got that from. All I know is that meant a lot of people in my brain. And I thought, man, the more the better. The more people you got praying for you, the better. Hmm. I dig it. I dig it. Now, yeah, are you asking them to give monthly? Are you asking them to give, um, you know, one-time gifts? Uh, what well, are you asking for? Yeah, because further down that list, like people are wired so differently. And so you're going to need a newsletter to 
basically keep people giving. Here's here's the deal. Um, when you say that, the answer is yes. Um, yes to all the above. I want them to give one time. I want them to give at the start. I want them to give monthly. Because what will happen, I, it, sometimes people are funny when it comes to giving. They'll say stuff like this. Um, look, I want to give to you, but I just don't want to give into a general fund. What do you need? And so, like, we might say something like, well, we need a sound system. And someone says, well, great. Okay, that's cool. Because I want to know I bought your sound system. And and sometimes that's just people want to see where it goes. Does that make sense? Hmm. So sometimes when you're writing a newsletter, you put on the newsletter, hey, the church is doing great. Um, and I'll talk more about kind of what, what you're going to do, but um, on the newsletter. And Pete, you, I mean, this is really your expertise is newsletters. I mean, you you've really help me on newsletters where I want to make them like, you know, all souped up and cool. And you're like, no, dude, don't make them shiny and like a Porsche because people think you have money when you're driving a Porsche, you know, make your newsletter just be functional, right? We make the saying in marketing that ugly sells. Yeah, man. Like suddenly, you know, you got this newsletter that's all like glossy and height and everyone goes, dude, they, they must, I mean, my, you know, they, they must have a lot of money. Is yeah. that what my donation is going towards, is to give them an expensive newsletter? I'm just telling you, this is how people work. They did not give to fund your expensive newsletter. They gave to fund your mission. And so you've got to make sure that mission is going to be the priority. So, um, so, so, And that will reflect in your newsletter. But uh, it, one, one of the things, things too, that I would say about your newsletter that is so important you have got to make it personality driven. Yes. And what I mean by that is it's not like what I notice with a lot of missionary newsletters is they go right into the preachy, you know, and it's like because they're a pastor, right? So they want to share the gospel, which is great. But in the newsletter, you need to tell them what's going on in your family, you know, and I would tell them the, the bad stuff, not just the good stuff. I'd tell them. You know, uh, we were driving to this little town and, you know, the, the VW bug broke down on the way. And, you know, you tell them stories like that and people get sucked in. And now they look forward to reading your newsletter every month. Yeah. So it's not just the good stuff, but it's the it's the life experience. Think of a reality TV show. What makes those so desirable and why people watch them, besides the fact that it's not really reality, but it's the illusion of reality. It's. You're seeing someone's daily life, and we get sucked into that, and we want to know what's going to happen next in their life. So you got to have that personality piece in your newsletter. I would say that's more important than almost anything else you put in it. That's so true, man. And and you've taught me a lot about that because I really sucked at writing newsletters. And even now, you know, I feel like I'm I'm learning. The newsletters that got the most attention are ones where I told people stories that were getting changed. Like, so I could talk about, hey, we're going to do this event and that event, and people are like, schnorr. They don't go to your church. They really don't care that you're going to do this event or that event or this outreach. Okay, cool. So you're telling them all what's on your calendar. Great. Um, Snore. But what people really want to see, and I learned this too, is pictures. Like, we'd have pictures of the people we baptized. Obviously, uh, Eric... um, you know, the, the, uh, the brother of, uh, Reuben who got shot months back. Um, you know, he had come out of a very violent background and I mean, it, it was, you know, gang member written all over him. And these, these pictures are worth a thousand words. You see the picture of him getting baptized. You're going, dude, that is a miracle. Just looking at the picture. That's a miracle. That dude standing in water getting baptized. So many of the people from our baptisms, you just don't expect that they're going to get baptized. And so um, I learned to tell people stories, um, to tell, you know, we're, I was listening to, to, to one of our podcasts. I never listen to our podcast, but I was listening to the one about the refuge barbecue where we're laughing about, hey, it's not a refuge barbecue and, until the boys in blue show up and someone right. overdoses. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and so those stories, those are the stories right now that I'm telling. And, you know, the, the thing is, is that uh, your, your newsletter it, it should be story driven. Like you said, personality. People want to hear. Remember, they're supporting you. They want to hear about you. One of the things that you brought up to me, Pete, was that uh, I can talk about the mission, but you were like, no, it should mostly be about you and your family. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's what gets people sucked in and they care about it. Like, 
I can't tell you how many times people come up to me because I've, I've got a monthly newsletter that goes out, uh, one for my financial planning business and one for my marketing business. Now, my marketing newsletter is very personality driven. Like I had a meeting earlier this week with this gal who uh, is looking for some help with marketing for her company. So last week I sent her a package with, I don't know, maybe a year's year and a half's worth of newsletters and, uh, and some other stuff in there, some audio CDs, a, a book that I'd uh, written, things like that. And so we're meeting this week and she goes, yeah, well, you know, I definitely couldn't write a newsletter the way you write yours. And she's referring to the fact that her company, they coach real estate agents, right? And so they have this very posh feel to them. And my newsletter is very, you know, um, I, how would you describe it, Peyton? It's like, it's irreverent to say the least. Um, yeah, it's, um, if you think of a marketing letter, you think of a dude in a, in a collar shirt and a little bit square and anal and your newsletter is just, it's just punk rock and rock and roll all the way through. You're cracking jokes the whole time. You're, you know, it's pretty good, man. You've got like a wry sense of humor going through it. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, I would actually say it's funny. And what's cool about your newsletter is you said this to me once, because missionaries do suck at writing newsletters. They do. They're boring. And like, if you ever have trouble uh, falling asleep, just pick up a missionary newsletter. Put you right out. Mm. And here's the deal is that you, you said something to me once. You're like, what's the goal of the first line you write? And I'm like, oh, to be an introduction? And you said, no, the goal of your first sentence is to get him to read the second sentence. What right. do you think the goal of the second sentence is? To get him to read the third. So all the way, and I notice in your newsletter, I literally, when your newsletter comes to the door, I literally read all four pages of it cover to cover every single time. Well, but see, that's that's not unusual for my newsletter. Like I get people who email me, call me, and they say, hey, I've been getting your newsletter I'm moving. Can you change my address? Mm -hmm. I was at an event on Monday, and this dude walks up to me, and he goes, hey, um, you're Pete Mitchell, aren't you? And I go, yeah. And he goes, hey, I get your newsletter. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know who the dude is, right? I don't know how he got on the list, but somehow he got on the list. But he religiously reads the newsletter, and the sin in marketing, so the sin in your newsletter is if you're boring. It's the yeah. one thing people won't forgive. They'll forgive anything. They'll forgive the bad jokes. They'll forgive the spelling errors, the punctuation errors, but they won't forgive you being boring. They just won't read it if it's boring. Yeah. So just like you said, telling the stories sucks them in. And now, see, what happens is you can utilize this newsletter, and you, you need to educate your, your uh, supporters on how they can use this in their family. Yeah. So if they've got young kids – you educate them. Look, you're going to share with your kids the missionary and the church plant that you're supporting that you've got a hand in. And so now it becomes a family ordeal. You know, every month the family, you know, at the the family devotional time after dinner or whenever they do it, you know, it's like let's let's share what what Peyton and Andrea are doing and, and Libby and Eden are doing. Let's share what they're up to. And the whole family gets around it and it does a couple of things. One, now you know you're in their forefront, which means you are going to be getting those prayers because they're going to be thinking about you. Yeah. But yeah. secondly, it also kind of locks them in. Like, you can't quit supporting. How are you going to answer to your kids? Um, how come we're not supporting Andrea and Peyton anymore? Uh, we got tired of supporting them. I mean, you can't do it, right? If you're a parent, yeah. you're like, we've got to support these guys because now they're yeah. part of the family. Yeah, absolutely. And and people want to know what's going on with you. Here's the deal. Let's say you get a newsletter from a missionary every month, right? Um, and you see a list on there that says, hey, we need this and that and that this month. And you're hearing stories about people's lives changing. You're going to want to give them. You're seeing the results. So you're not talking about what's going to happen in the newsletter. You're talking about what has happened. Okay, that's that's a real game changer. Um, but also, uh, let's say that somebody's getting your newsletter who came to your original meeting um, and they just tick the box. I'll pray for you. But you're sending them newsletter. You're telling them, hey, I'm going to I'm going to keep you guys updated because you need to know how to pray for me. Um, 
And, and people who don't sign up to give to you every month read that newsletter and they go, you know what? They really need help. Boom, I'm going to give. Or I want to provide a sound system. Or I want to provide – I want to buy the coffee for the next six months because that's expensive. You know how you know how expensive coffee is just for your household, right? <laughs> Imagine buying it for like you know 60 to 100 people uh, every every week, right? It's right. a lot of money. You, you, the amount of equipment you need. If you haven't been able to get that from your sending church, like we talked about, uh, you know, raiding their storage closet, uh, then, you know, you, you're going to have a lot of startup equipment to buy. And so people don't realize you're going to have rent 1200 bucks to rent a school a month. You've got insurances. If you're not on your sending church's insurance, there's a lot of stuff. And so people might want to buy that. But importantly, they also might have just signed up to pray, but something that you talk about doing, maybe an after-school outreach where you're teaching kids to read, now suddenly they sit up and go, I've always wanted to do that. And they're looking at your church now going, really? You mean I could go and do that? I have talked and talked to my church about, I know I've been called to do this for years. Now they come and they join your team. And all because you're communicating. You are getting people praying for you, giving to you, and joining you because they're reading the newsletter. And guys, I've seen this time and time again where they may not do these things at the startup, but that newsletter is just a golden thread to keep the communication open. Never forget C.T. Studd, a famous cricketer and pioneer missionary uh, in the 1800s, part of the Cambridge Seven, uh, who went off to China and Africa. He he wrote this. He said, uh, I will go down into the deepest, darkest hole if you will hold the rope. Hmm. And so you're asking, and I quote that. I, I, I must quote that multiple times a year uh, because there's a lot of people don't want to go to Long Beach, but they know that Long Beach needs to be reaching or needs to be reached. And so they will give of their finances to do that. So, um, so that's it. You know, your, your newsletter is going to be a monthly way to, um, to, to tap into that. And, 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 you know, Pete, we should have you at some point give like a tutorial for guys, how to write the ultimate missionary newsletter. Because I mean, you and I have talked about this. I remember when I first met you, you came back from a newsletter and you're like, uh, dude, your newsletter sucks. And I'm just telling you, I just spent thousands of dollars going to a uh, marketing conference on newsletters. Like, and you already, you already had a dynamite newsletter, but I just know that, that marketers swear by newsletters. They know how important yeah. these things are. Well, I mean, I can say in my own business, it's literally brought me tens of thousands of dollars. People who have been on my newsletter list for three years will all of a sudden go, hey, you know what? It's time for me to um, hire this guy. So if it does that for me, what's it going to do for someone who like genuinely wants to contribute to the kingdom but knows there's certain things they're not going to do? Yeah. They haven't reached that point where they're like, all right, I'm going to go step out on the front lines. So give them the opportunity to support the front lines. I mean, you and I talked about this. We called it the uh, Adopt a Church Planner Program. Mm. And uh, I don't know if you're going to talk about, you know, the opportunity, if you get the opportunity to go up in front of your church or another church and uh, and share with everyone uh, how they can support your your church plant, but I mean, you could have a you know adopt a Long Beach church plant, and um, I personally my my thing that when I look at a lot of missionaries and things like that, they're always asking for a donation, but you don't make it easy for people to give. Meaning, you oh, need I'm them so glad you brought that up to write a check. I mean, no one carries a checkbook with them anymore. No, those days no. are gone, right? So. You have to be able to accept credit cards. And if you've got a problem because it's called a credit card, um, that's that's your hang-up, right? Because a lot of people are like, well, I don't want people to go into debt. You don't know if they're going into debt. A lot of people use it strategically, and they pay it off every month. Um, debit cards are now you know, Visa logos on them, right? So that's – I think you're shooting yourself in the foot if you don't accept a credit card. And in my mind – I would put on that little card. I mean, you and I talked about your card, you know, that you give to people. What level will you support me at? But give them the opportunity 
to contribute to you monthly. It's yeah. just like the uh, adopt a poor African kid, right? Where you give to them $30 a month and that feeds them and gives them education and all that type of stuff. Give them the opportunity to adopt a Long Beach church plant. Give them the opportunity to adopt a Dallas, Texas church plant. And yeah. you follow up with them with this newsletter that's telling them this is what's going on. These are our stories, and it's not boring. And they're sitting there going, you know, I've adopted these guys. They're they're part of us. And then if you really want to take it a step further, you know, let's say it's someone who's contributing fifty bucks a month or or a hundred bucks a month. You know, maybe you give them an audio CD every month as well. And the audio CD is basically the stories of what's going on. It's kind of like how we do this podcast. It can yeah. be interview style. It could actually be one of your sermons, though I probably wouldn't do that too many times because that's not really what they want. It could be um, an interview with someone who's working on staff with you. And it could be it's an unpaid staff member, but they're talking about here's what we were able to do. Here's how we infiltrated the community. Because now, again, taking back that idea of uh, them sharing this with their family of who we're supporting. You know, we've adopted this Dallas, Texas church plant. And now on the way to school, you know, once a month we pop in this CD and you get to actually hear what we're doing as a family, how we're supporting it. I mean, it, it has such a huge impact and ties people to you you would be just blown away at what it's going to do for you if you just continue to follow up with people. Now, what most people do is they're going to hear this and they're going to go, oh, well, can I do this as an email? Can I just send out a blanket email and basically take the cheap way out, right? Because I don't want to pay 46 cents for a stamp and printing costs and all that. People do not value email the way they value print mail. Yep. I mail out a four page full color newsletter in an envelope with a live stamp um, that's hand stuffed to, uh, you know, a couple hundred people every month. Now, I wouldn't actually do that as a church planner. Like, I wouldn't do the full color because, again, that comes back to it looks like you got too much money, right? You look like you got too much money. They don't want to support you. So you can get away with actually doing less and it will do more for you. But it needs to be physical mail because people will read that. You send them an email and it's like, oh, crap. You know, that's, you know, one of a a thousand spam emails I got today. I'm not reading this thing. Yep. And they delete it. It's too easy to delete. Now, some people will request, um, please send it to me via email. Um, I don't want a printed newsletter. I had a bunch of people request that. I do get paid via email. Uh, you know, I, I get donations via email. When people request it, um, then do it. And, and the best way to do that is using MailChimp. But yeah, I mean, Pete's 100% right. The, I still send out, even though, you know, the wonders of email and all that, um, it's just a bad move. Please don't go into it thinking you're just going to email people because you're going to need to print newsletters. It takes a lot of work. And because of that, I suggest, I mean, Pete, you know, you print your own, right? You do everything from start to finish. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I use an outside printing company because it's way cheaper. I got a printing company in New York and I mean, I can't beat that. So yeah, they print it, they fold it. They ship it all back to me, and then we stuff them here, throw the stamps on them, and mail them out. Yeah. And and basically, you know, what I do is because it is a lot of work, I have a team, and I recruit a team. Guess where I recruit them from? My newsletter. And I said, hey, I need a newsletter team. And so my newsletter teams, they, they don't have a long shelf life because it is a lot of work. So um, they do a lot of what Pete just said. They print it off. They usually print it off from the sending church, which is pretty cheap. And then uh, they um, they fold it. <laughs> I'm burning them out, aren't I, Pete? I need to get a hold of this number from New York. <laughs> well, I, I can say that um, it that probably... It should not take that much work. Let me just put it like that. Yeah, it takes like my, two hours. You, you see it takes my, two hours once a month. Yeah, and I mean, two hours really isn't that much, but if you are no. asking someone else to do it who doesn't have a financial interest in it, then yeah, that's a lot. Uh, another source that you can utilize is called click2mail.com, C-L-I-C-K, and then the number two, and then M-A-I-L.com. 
and there is an option there. Well, they will. Uh, it's a mail house. You upload your newsletter to them. They'll fold it. They'll stamp it. They'll label it, and they'll ship it out. Yeah, it's not um, you know the greatest option, but it's better than burning people out. You know, yeah, absolutely. And and one of the things you need to know is once you get all that done, like I said, it 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 may be that Pete put something together like the ultimate. Uh, you know, uh, missionary newsletter thing, which might be in a special is- edition. I'm I'm looking at his face right now, trying to read his face. He's probably going, "Shut up, dude." <laughs> well, no, it's not that big of a deal to me because I love doing the newsletter. Like of everything I do every month, that's the thing I enjoy the most. And I'm not a writer by nature. Yeah, but I get to say whatever I want to say, and no one gets to stop me. Right, so. <laughs> Like one of the, there's always a section. The one section that's always the same in my newsletter is called Casa de Mitchell. Yeah, it's the best section. Well, that's the thing, and all the women love it because it's always like a picture of my son or something like that. And uh, he's still young, right? So he's cute when he's young. Who knows what happens when they become teenagers? I don't know, but um, but I get to tell whatever crazy story I want, and I embellish, man. Let me tell you, I embellish. And people love it. They love it. You know, like I think this last one, I talked about uh, the cockroach that was crawling over my leg when we were at Yogurt Land. And I don't know if you read that one, Peyton, but this cockroach was so stinking big. I mean, it was huge. <laughs> All I swore is I'm like, I'm never going and eating in this mall ever again because if they got cockroaches that big, and my wife's like, maybe we should tell someone. I'm like, look, you don't have a cockroach that big and not know you've got a cockroach yeah. problem. Like, yeah. This isn't a surprise to them. They know. Yeah, man. It was like a flying albino cockroach. Right. And so people, (laughs) I mean, it doesn't have to always be ministry related. It can be just the craziness that's going on in your life, and that's what sucks people in. Well, dude, in our first uh, issue of Church Minor Magazine, one of my friends, Jonathan Ferguson, who's a missionary over in Africa, we put his video in the the magazine of him killing a cobra. I don't know if he ever put that in his newsletter, but I got to be honest. That is like the best. If I were getting a missionary newsletter and a guy's telling me how he killed it, actually, I do get his missionary newsletter. Uh, it, it, the, the, the cobra killing story is like the best, right? It has nothing to do with mission work, but, uh, my daughter, we go through a, a, a we have a book of postcards, like a little photo album. And she prays for a missionary a day. She gets to pick the one she wants. She always refers to them as the one that had the water buffalo in the middle of the road. They had to drive around it. And the one that has the cobra that comes into their house. So um, that, you know, that that's what my daughter remembers. And, you know, dang it, I'm 40 years old, and that's what I remember. Right, right. Four and 40. So, you know, that's kind of what you're looking at. And so you want to have different elements to your newsletter. And and for those of you that are just listening, going, why are you talking about a newsletter? Aren't there other ways to fund? Yes. And we're going to talk about them when we get to core team. We're talking about building your support base. And that is not your core team. This is wider and broader. And if part of you is going, you know, I don't know, man, I just don't know, because you got to hang up about money. I can relate, man, because that's exactly where I was for the longest time. And then as I started reading the scripture, I mean, think about it. The epistles are part missionary newsletter. And Paul, when he went back to Antioch, it tells us in the book of Acts that he went back after his first missionary journey and told Antioch what had happened and all that the Lord had done amongst the Gentiles. When I read that, I'm like, dang, now I have justification for when I came home off the field and stood in a pulpit and all I ever want to do is preach. I didn't want to tell him about mission and what had happened because I felt, you know, kind of creepy about it. It's exactly what Paul did. And Paul was raising money every single time, either from the Gentiles uh, for Jerusalem, he, he would talk about the collection that he was taking from them, or he would write like he does in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 10, where he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now at length that you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, part of what he's doing is he's telling him he's been in those positions. He's telling him his needs, really. 
um, in some way. And he goes on to say, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. How did they share? Well, and you Philippines, Philippians know yourself that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me, so you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having sent received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So they were funding him onto mission. And part of what you see in the epistles is that some of the epistles are part missionary newsletter. You know, and you need to understand that. What Paul is doing at the end of the book of Philippians is he's writing them a mini missionary newsletter. Yes, he writes Philippians and he writes all the doctrinal stuff, but then he deals with the actual mission. And Paul was not ashamed to ask them to help fund his mission and nor should you be. Mm. Yep. Yep. And I think, um, I think, you know, this is just really just hitting on one step in my mind of, yeah, of everything that can be said about this topic. But, um, but what do you suggest, Peyton, as far as like – I know we're almost out of time, so I'm just – I want to make sure we kind of finish this thought of, uh, you know, making it easy for people to give support. I mean, yeah. do you take credit cards? Do you set up PayPal? Yes. I mean, what, what do you suggest and tell your church planners? Yeah, there's a few things. Number one, you need to you need to sign up to an online giving site because even in your newsletter, you want to have a website set up that people can go to to give. And so you need to either have MoGive or Just Give or you know Network for Good or some. And you got to shop around because they all charge different amounts. So they're going to charge a percentage or a flat fee. And excuse me, you need to be ready for that. So um, you know, shop around, but definitely have that and have it accessible. Some of the the sites like MoGive has it so when someone gives the first time, they can actually set up a monthly ongoing payment. And that is ingenious. I think most of them have that now, as a matter of fact. Um, but but what I would do is I would have that. I would also embed that if if people ask to be on email, um, you can always do both. You can always send them an email and a physical newsletter, right? Um, because one of the advantages of the email is people can just click right away and give with their credit card. Boom, no hassle. Um, they don't have to get on uh, the computer. But I agree with Pete. Definitely send the physical to make sure that it's read. And then send them an email as well to make it accessible for them to give online. One of so the things that, the- that we do in my uh, financial planning business is we do a weekly email and a monthly physical newsletter. And that's how we work in the two. So, um, you know, a lot of church planners look at that and go, there's no way that's way too much work. So what I would do to lessen your load is the weekly email. I would have it be a link to a YouTube video. So I'd sit in front of your webcam and talk about what's going on. And that goes out weekly via the email. And then you have your physical print newsletter that goes out monthly. Yeah, and that's actually something that's something that I'm starting to get into is um I want to start filming uh little movies and stuff because part of what we're talking about as well at the end of our time now is um two-way communication, you know, gone is the day where communications one way. So on your website where you're trying to direct traffic to so people can give, that's the best way for them to give. You're also going to need a PO box set up somewhere that people can mail checks because people will particularly old people, mm-hmm. uh, will want to mail you checks. They're not going to want to go on the interweb. You know, um, That's a bit confusing to some old people. And they have dough, and they want to give it to you. So you have to, to have all those things set up. And, of course, you want to have a bank account, or you want to run it through your sending church, all those things, and you've got to work that out. It's a deep rabbit hole, but you know, talk to your church. Ask them, will you set up a missionary account for me? There shouldn't be any problem with them doing that for you. Um, if there is, you know, you can write to me and ask and I'll, I'll point you in a different direction. You can go to newbreedcp.org. And by the way, on that note, if you, uh, if you want to ever donate towards the ministry of new breed, uh, that, that's, that's the network that I represent. Um, you know, cause some of you guys are here and you're like, Hey, you know, um, I'm digging on this. It's free, whatever. Boom. Go to newbreedcp.org and you can chuck some money. You could even give to us uh, monthly and always tell your people that 10, $20, $25, um, is a big help. 
right? Mm -hmm. Don't, don't make people feel as if you're giving a huge amount. Most ministries out there survive on the $25 a month giving. And if they get enough people to do that, it a little goes a long way. So that's all I got to say about that. I dig we, it, man. I dig yeah, it. Yeah, we'll we'll probably talk more about this. In fact, um, we want to get a guest on here. She's she's quite well known in the in the church planning world, uh, Linda Lundquist. Uh, we want to get her. She sat in on on my session at Exponential a little bit, and uh, she was giving a session next door on um, raising funds for church planners. So she's a bit of an expert in this, and we might want to have her on the podcast. Two weeks from uh, today, we're going to be talking with Frank Viola, um, and woo-hoo. we will have him. Woohoo! Yeah, quite a big author, wrote loads of books, um, Pagan uh, Christianity. Um, he's written so many uh, but anyways, we want to have Frank on. It's going to be a real honor to, to sit down with him. So tune in to that. That'll be episode 22. And Lord willing, we'll be able to, to talk on episode 21 about a uh, little more financial giving because it is a big subject. I dig it. I dig it. All right. Well, let's tell them a little bit about Centralized and why they ought to be there in January in Costa Biggest Mesa. Biggest reason is because uh, I'm going to be there. So <laughs> they should want to be there. And the second biggest reason is I'm going to be there. And that should be enough right there. To keep them away. No. It'll be in Costa Mesa, uh, end of January. January, what is it, 23rd, 24th, 25th, something like that? Right. That's right. right. Right in that time span right there. And um, the lineup is uh, pretty dang incredible. You can check it out at Centralized Conference, and it's spelled S-E-N-T as in Sent Out Conference, but it's not Sent Out Conference. It's CentralizedConference.com. And um, they got all kinds of uh, all kinds of good stuff. All kinds of good stuff coming up, man. Yeah, and we will have a booth there. We will most likely be doing live podcasting there. Um, we will be doing tons of interviews for Church Planner Magazine. And uh, we may even have T-shirts by then that say, Mi, mi, <laughs> mi dragón es muy rápido. <laughs> and it's going to be Jesus on a T-Rex as the, uh, as the picture. Amen, brother. All right, man. So thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Reminding you, if you want to reach the ones no one's reaching, you got to go where no one's going and do what no one's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music.